If you want to open your Bibles up, we want to start with Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. A lot of people toss the word Christian around like it's not that important. There is a difference between believers and Christians. And so many people will say, well, are you a Christian? And people say, well, yeah. No, you're probably not a Christian if you're not a disciple. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians. You're saying that uh, those who are just believers and pew warmers are not Christian? That's what the Bible said. The Bible says that a Christian is someone who's a disciple. It's not someone who just uh, comes to church and goes through the motions. One of the first things that's required to be a, a, a Christian this one's got to be saved. What are the familiar verses? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. Before you become a Christian, you've got to be a believer. It's, people say, you're, you're making a differentiation. We have cardinals in Michigan. I, have, I don't know if you've got them here or not. I haven't seen them, but they could be. But anyhow, we got cardinals. All cardinals are birds, but not all birds are cardinals. All Christians are believers, but not all believers are Christian. Then in Romans chapter 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You must recognize that there is a need in your life for salvation. You must have a recognition of who you are. When Isaiah saw God in all his holiness, what did he say? Woe is me. And this is, a, this is what we would classify as a good guy. This is a, a man of God. And he comes face to face with God and he says, woe is me. You will not recognize how sinful we are until you see God. If you're going around saying, well, yeah, it's real easy to come up and say, you know, I'm not a good guy. I, I do things wrong. I can admit all day all the wrong I do. But in order to become a believer, one must confess their sins. And you say, what's the difference? Confession is agreeing with God that my sin is an affront to him. And so often, even we as Christians and believers do not think, think of our sin as being an affront to a holy God. And I'll be honest with you. One of the things that, that hurts me the most is for me to open my eyes and see 
just how much of an affront I have been to God the, the, the past 20 minutes, the past hour, let alone the past week. So in order to, to become a believer, one's got to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. They've got to recognize that they have a need for salvation. You cannot save a drowning man that doesn't believe he needs to be saved. You do cannot say, give a person information on how to become saved until they recognize their need. By the way, when we do that, we need to do it in love. It's real easy to get up and say, well, you're just a dirty, rotten sinner, and you're going to split hell wide open. Been there, done that. And there are times to do that. And I wish I had a couple, three hours because I got lots of stories to go with it. But anyhow, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I've got this verse in two different places because if you really go study this verse out in Romans, it's not talking about salvation from hell. It's talking about salvation from the power of sin. And that's one of the things. You say, what do you mean? The last half of Romans is written to Christians, to believers. The first part of Romans is written to unbelievers. So you say, you'll, hopefully I can explain this as we go along. Then I'm going to talk about, like I said, the first salvation was delivery from the penalty of sin. The second salvation that... I think we as believers need to take hold of is delivery from the power of sin. Oh, I can't help myself. I'm just a human being. I have feet of clay. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to sin. No excuse. God has said in his word, thou shalt be holy as I am holy. You said you expect me to live a sinless life? What does God expect? What does God expect out of you? Does he expect, oh, that's okay. You know, you said that mean thing to your wife. You said that mean thing, thing to your children. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. No, it's not okay. And that's what we as believers need to understand. It, it's not okay to sin. Oh, it's just a little sin. And I'm going to pick on my, my friend, Jim. He, he may go fishing. He says, you know that fish I caught? It was this big. He said, well, that, what's that? That's just, every, people, that's just what fishermen do. But is it the truth? Does it honor God? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says, And take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. Talks about the helmet of salvation. And I've heard a lot of people preach on this, and they talk about salvation from the uh, penalty of sin, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about deliverance from the power of sin. Protect your mind. What does a helmet do? It protects that noggin of yours. It protects that brain. And so often, 
we just allow this TV commercial, this internet commercial come traipsing through our, our eyes. And what is it? Oh, drink this beverage and you will have a wonderful time. No, you won't. Protect your mind. By the way, I have a friend of mine that, that goes through a process every morning of putting on the armor of God. He goes over the passage in Ephesians and thinks on each part. I challenge each of us to do something like that. I, if you're not having quiet time in the morning, if you're not having quiet time in the morning, you say, why? I, what does that have to be in the morning? It needs to be when you get up. If you happen to be working the late shift and you don't get up till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, but you need to do it. It needs to be a priority. You need to spend time with God. I had a uh, charismatic friend of mine tell me about how he had read a book and he says the man would take a chair and he'd sit it down in front of him and he'd get his coffee in the morning and then he'd sit there and sip his coffee and talk to God. When's the last time you just sat down and talked to God? Oh, yeah, it's wonderful to pray and ask him to, to take care of Holland and to take care of uh, pastor and to take care of this issue and that issue. That's wonderful. He loves that. But how would you feel if somebody just, every time they came to you, was always asking you for something? We forget that God is a person. Persons like to communicate. Persons like to talk to each other. I'm a coffee drinker. I, I've been sitting in the morning, and I'll just take my coffee, and I try to make sure that it's not a time that I'm saying, well, dear Holy Spirit, dear God, I need you to take, take care of this. You know, help me with that and do that. No, I just want to sit there and say, wow, you're awesome. You're fantastic. You're an amazing individual. When's the last time you told God he was great? When's the last time you, you just sat there and, and spent time with him? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not one of these guys that really believes in warm fuzzies, but that's a warm fuzzy. I'll sit down with Jesus in the morning, and I'll sit down and say, have you ever taken a, and asked God, how you doing? What's going on with you? You know, most of the conversation, if you talk to me, you know most of the conversation is about George. But in the mornings, I try to have to sit there and listen. Listen to God. I heard a pastor say one time, they were praying and they were praying and praying hard and praying fast. And they took a breath. And God said, now, did you stop for a second? Let me tell you what we've got planned. We go to God with all our plans and all our great, all the things we want to get accomplished. But when's the last time you sat down and just fellowship with God? Just sit down and talk to him. I like to sit down and talk to my wife sometimes. Sometimes she likes to talk to me. And she says, get rid of that telephone, get rid of that computer, you know. <laughs> but anyhow... What does it mean to be a disciple? One of the first people I think of as a disciple in the Bible was a guy named Abel. 
He said, well, he didn't go out starting churches and stuff like that. But no, it says that uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gift, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Why did Abel give God a more excellent sacrifice? Because it was a blood sacrifice? Because it was uh, involved animals? No, because he was righteous. And who testified of that? God did. God doesn't need your wallet. God doesn't need your, your strong back, your brilliant mind. God wants a righteous individual, an individual who is dependent upon Christ. Faith is what Abel pleased God because he had faith in God. And faith is what is that which I believe that which I trust in, that which I have confidence in. How much faith do you have in God? It's easy to, to come to church sometimes. There have been times, though, I've turned to the wife and said, you know, for two cents, I just stay home. But God is, is faithful, and he doesn't allow me to do that as often. So... But faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Colossians chapter 3 says, For we, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Are you dead? Are you dead? Romans 6 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Are you freed from sin? Are you in the bondage of sin? Well, I'm a believer. I've trusted God. Great. But you know, Satan is a great liar, and he will tell you that you can't stop doing this sin or that sin. Satan is a liar. Where I was working at the prison one of the, the things that I really admired about certain of my inmates was they were not liars. They would tell me nothing rather than tell me a lie. And they were inmates. They were criminals. But they had some character. For he that is dead is free. And verse 7 also says, by the way, verse 7 I know this is going to sound real elementary, but verse 7 comes before verse 11. And you say, why? For he that is dead is free from sin. If you do not believe that you're dead to sin, you cannot go to verse 11. And verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot reckon yourself to be dead if you do not believe you're dead. That would be like me trying to write a check for a million dollars. I don't believe I have a million dollars in the bank to cover it. 
So I would be real hesitant to write that check. You cannot walk with God unless you believe you're dead. And by the way, as a believer, let me tell you something. You're dead. You died on the cross with Christ. So often we forget that, don't we? We forget who we are. This young lady right here, her name is Lisa Russ. If you were to come up and wake her in the middle of the night and, she, and shake her and say, what's your name? She'd say, Lisa Russ. Why? Because she knows who she is. She knows. Now, some of us guys, I, I, the reason I picked a lady for that is because I know some of us guys, when we go to sleep, the world could come to an end and we wouldn't even know it. So that's the reason I'll be real honest with you. I hope Gabriel, when he blows that trumpet, it's during the daytime and not, I'm not sleeping. Cause <laughs> but anyhow, verse 11 says, reckon yourselves to be dead. You cannot reckon, not reckon something to be true unless you believe it. You cannot reckon something to be true unless you believe it. Do you believe you're dead? Do you believe that you're, you were nailed to the cross back 2,000 some years ago? Galatians says, I am crucified with Christ. Do I believe that? Is it true? Am I living it? So often, we, we find ourselves just... Uh, wandering through our life without any realization of who we are or what we are. If you are a believer, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, if you have recognized that you need a Savior and trusted Jesus, you are a believer and you were crucified. You say, how do you know that? The Bible said it. And I've heard many people say, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settled it. That's wrong. The Bible said it, that settles it. I was talking with a friend of mine, and he said he had a friend of his that said the Bible wasn't true. And I says, well, just keep giving him Bible verse. Well, he doesn't believe Bible verses. Well, I tell you, and he, he will tell me I don't believe in Bible verse. I says, well, tell him the next time you see him, you've got to load it 45 and get a round chamber. You're about five feet from him. Ask him if he believes it's true. He's, and if he says, no, you pull the trigger, there's a hole in his chest. Doesn't matter what I believe. If God said it, that settles it. Amen. And God said, I was crucified. I've been nailed to a cross. By the way, that's not a pretty sight, being nailed to a cross. I've read some articles and seen some pictures. And uh, most of the, the paintings that we see are nothing like what it was really like. If it, if it was like it really was, it would be rated X if it was shown on a movie. You say, why? Because it's that horrendous. It's that horrendous. But anyhow, Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, we've been talking about being dead, right? When you, what do you think of a dead person? They just kind of lay there. But we're not dead. Our, we have been crucified, and we're dead that way. But we're alive. And what does a live person do? If his name is George, he gets up and talks. Or eat. But anyhow, what, what, what do you believe held Christ on the cross? His love for you, for me, for the world? Question, what holds you on the altar of sacrifice? Does your love for Jesus hold you there? I love my wife dearly, and then sometimes she may even wonder that because I'm not, I'm not the, the most nice guy in the world, but I love Jesus more than I love her. And you say, why? Because he's greater. Real simple. He's greater. And John says, in chapter 14, this is one of those verses I keep going back to a lot. And if you ever hear me speak, you'll hear this verse come up time and time again. John chapter 14, verse 15, real short verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. You say you love Jesus. You say you love God. You say you love the Holy Spirit. You say you love all that. Your talk talks. And your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. What does your life show? When you last time you looked in the mirror of God's word, what does your life show? Am I walking with God? Am I being submitted to him? Am I glorifying him in everything that I do? Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law. That's a powerful verse. But you know what the rest of it says? And nothing shall offend them. When's the last time you were offended? Us husbands can offend a wife in half a heartbeat. But you know, wives can offend the husbands just, just as quick. Why? Because we're close. We're close. You say you love Jesus? Are you offended when somebody doesn't do something the way you want them to do it? Love is not a whole list of do's and don'ts. Love is being like Christ. You have a whole list of do's and don'ts. Guess what? That's your flesh. Your flesh will do this. Your flesh will do that. Your flesh will even be nice. Your flesh will even wash the dishes sometime or vacuum the house. So many people try to do Christianity. They show up for church. They say all the right things. But are they really in love with Jesus? Jesus. 
Well, how do I know that I love God? Here's the problem. We try to do love. When we're trying to do love, our flesh becomes involved. And the scripture says, in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. So often we try to make our flesh better. We need to allow our flesh to be crucified. Some things that will help us along the way is these four points. Knowledge of the truth, faith, joy, and obedience. If we have the knowledge of the truth, Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and not to be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove. That's interesting. The God says we have to prove. Yeah. We don't have to prove to him. I have to prove to me that I love him. That we may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect way of God. Then we need to make sure that we have faith. And so faith cometh by what? By hearing the word of God. Spending time in the word of God. When you get up, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, when you get up to start your day, do you start your day off in the word of God? And I would really advise you to do this little thing, and that is to read it out loud. You say, what? Read it out loud. It's amazing how much more you pick up when you hear it as well as you speak it. It's one of those things that I learned when I was in college, and it, it helped me get through some of those tests that I didn't want to take. As I'd sit there and read my textbook out loud. Take time and read God's word out loud. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then there's joy. And you notice joy comes before obedience. You say, why is that? Nehemiah chapter 8 says, then, said, then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the, the sweet and send portions unto them for, from whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither shall ye be sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do we not do sin? Well, I am so weak that I can't do it. That's exactly right. I can't stop me either. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's not my joy. It's his joy. He is so wonderful. He is so magnificent. He has chosen to save us. He has chosen to not only save us from the penalty of sin, but he has chosen to save us from the power of sin. And when we get raptured, we'd be delivered from the presence of sin. I heard some preacher use that alliteration, and I was just waiting to use it. But uh, anyhow, the joy of the Lord. And you say, how else can I do it? Philippians 4.13. These are all familiar verses. There's hardly a verse that I have mentioned tonight that it's not a common verse. You say, why? Because if you don't, know, if you don't do what you know to do, you can't do what you don't know to do. 
If you don't do what you know to do, you can't do what you don't know to do. It's one of those things. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I'm on the last page and I've got about six minutes. So hang on to your hat. And then obedience comes out of Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 18. But I said unto the ch- their children in the wilderness, walk ye not in the statutes of your father, neither observe their judgments nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and hollow my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign between me and you that ye may know I am the Lord your God. One of the things that we hear a lot of times about is about denying ourselves. And that's, that's a, shown, a, a sign of our obedience. But it's not a sign for God. And it's not a sign for the people that are, that are sitting next to you. It's a sign for myself. David said he encouraged himself in the Lord. Why? Because he knew where his walk was. And that was encouraging to him. Some, sometimes when we talk about denying yourself, it's not the same as self-denial. Every student, athlete, and cult member practices self-denial, restraining themselves from substances and activities which keep them from reach, that would keep them from reaching their goals. But the ultimate purpose of that kind of self-denial is self-promotion, to receive the, the top grade, to break the record, or to achieve the status of recognition. What is your goal? What are, what, are you, what are you living for? John 7, 38 says, He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall follow rivers of living water. When's the last time you splashed on somebody? Sometimes I'm walking through Walmart and I'll just start talking to somebody, and they'll go, you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you, yeah. That's, a, that's a, one of the things about being a talkaholic. You, you can talk to anybody. And I love to talk. And, and God has been impressing me lately that when I talk to people, even in the church, and this is something you're going to find that I'm gonna, as I come up to you and get to talk to you, I'm going to start asking you, how did you get saved? Jill, how did you get saved? Tell me about it. That should be the most exciting stories we hear. Pastor DeGarmo, how did you get saved? How did Jesus come to your life? By the way, do you know how most of the people in this room got saved? Probably not. When's the last time you told somebody how you got saved? My, my salvation testimony is real simple. It was a Sunday morning. Pastor... David Newton was preaching, and he was of my parents' generation, so he was, and I was a 12-year-old, so he was a good bit older, and I don't even remember what he preached about, but I know I went forward at the end of the service and got on my knees. We had a, a set of steps so you could come up to the platform, and I got on my knees, and I said, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. Will you please save me? I'm trusting you to do it. 
That was it. That was it, just real simple. And the very next day, I was in my backyard, and my neighbor, she was in her backyard hanging out sheets. I remember Miss White standing back there, and I'd never talked to anybody about Jesus. I said, Mrs. White, tell me something. Are you going to, when you die, are you going to go to heaven? Oh, yes, I'm going to go to heaven. My daddy was a preacher. I accepted that. But we know today that doesn't get you into heaven if your daddy's a preacher. But I didn't know. That was the first person I witnessed to was Mrs. White. You say, why do you witness her? Because I had some water that was splashing out of me. First Corinthians chapter 10, 31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We talked about drinking a cup of coffee and talking to Jesus. When you go to sit down at your breakfast table or wherever you do to eat, do you, do you do it with the thought in mind, I want to glorify God with my breakfast? Had a friend of ours to give us some cookies the other day, and I was guilty of this. I did not sit there and say, dear God, thank you for these cookies. They're, they're great, uh, and I want to glorify you with this cookie. I didn't think that. But what has God's word said? To glorify him with everything. You go driving down the road, and somebody cuts you off. Or one of my wife's pet peeves is the guy who gets on your bumper, rides your bumper for about five miles, cuts off to the left lane, goes just past you, and cuts into the exit. That's one of my wife's pet peeves. You say, why her and not you? Because she does 99% of the driving. She loves to drive. I love to ride. It works. <laughs> my, my thing is, Getting me from point A to point B is fine. If I don't have to drive, I don't have to drive. But anyhow, um, make sure you pick up your cross daily because if you don't do it daily, you will not walk with Jesus that day. Two things I would challenge us to do, and I'm getting ready to close up here. It looks like I'm a little over time. But the two things I would challenge us to do. One, take time to go through Ephesians chapter 6 and put on the armor of God before you do anything else in the morning. Talk with Jesus. And then actually the third thing would be crucify yourself. I, Paul says, I die daily. Do you die daily? Do you really believe you're dead Tonight, I want you to take some time when we, as I'm closing here. And this is one of the hardest things for me to do is to close. I can talk for hours. But anyhow, I do want you to, to think for a minute and think on God's word and use God's word as a mirror to your life. Don't use your comparing themselves amongst themselves say we're not wise. Don't use your neighbor for a mirror. Use God's word for a mirror. Am I a believer or am I a Christian? By the way, I got one other question to ask. Do you want to be a Christian? 
because it will cost you. You will have to do this, this word that most, particularly Baptists don't like, and it's the word sacrifice. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and the part that people leave off a lot, and to give his life for a ransom. Am I willing to give my life for a ransom so that some soul doesn't spend eternity in hell? Yes. 